You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Uh, Father in heaven, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. And um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would direct this lesson, protect us from the enemy, and, um, and, and teach us and guide us. And I pray that we not live in fear, but we live in the hope and the freedom and the joy of, um, of Christ and, and the hope and the freedom and the joy of the gospel. Knowing that you've lived for us, you've died for us, and um, you uh, reign as king. And so we trust you. I ask your prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, th- th- this is the fifth installment of this uh, Faith and Family series, Our Spiritual Aspirations. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Um, uh, of our, this series called Our Spiritual Aspirations for Our Kids. The basis of this is, this is the purple book that I've been talking about quite a bit lately. And this is kind of an overview of our ministry to kids. It's an overview of our like partnership plan with parents. And it kind of has a scope and sequence of, of children, youth, and family from nursery all the way to their senior year um, when we try to prepare them for college. So anyhow, the first page uh, is entitled, Our Dream for Your Child. And so there are six aspirations. Like we can you know, begin with the end in mind. Like what is it, what is that you know, we're hoping the Lord will do in our time here? And we're hoping that the Lord will bless our children with a joyful, satisfying life, a meaningful, purposeful life, a peaceful, restful life, a loving, moral life, a worshipful life. We'll teach on that next week. That'll be uh, Mark Janelette with Naomi. Naomi, you'll be leading that, right? Naomi's in here, isn't she? No, she left. Aha, uh-huh, see, she, she found out that John Halsey wasn't teaching and she hit the road. Thanks, Naomi. No. Um, and an eternal life. And so today um, we're going to talk about a moral, loving life. And so, um, so I'm just going to read what it says in the purple book. By the way, if you don't have one of these, uh, please help yourself to one. One per family, please. They're very expensive. Um, but yeah, help yourself. <laughs> Want to be a good steward? Stewardship season coming up. Um, all right. So it says, we believe the fruit of the Spirit flows from living in, in fellowship with Jesus. We desire to see God transform the hearts of our children such that they repent from sin and bear the fruit of Christian character. We hope to see our children grow as loving servants of their neighbor. And that's, you know, I think for, um, um, I think for any parent, that's kind of like number one, right? Uh, you know, your kid might be really, really successful financially or vocationally or whatever it is. Um, I'm just going to keep on working on this here. Uh, but, you know, if your kid has terrible ethics, if your kid is a rotten person, you're not going to be terribly satisfied with that. You know, your, your child, um, you know, might might be really successful in a lot of the ways of the world, but if your child um, is, you know, treats people horribly, um, you're not going to be super excited about that. And so, you know, we, um, come on, come on, come on, come on, uh, uh, projector. It's your time to shine, baby. Oh, well. Um, yeah, literally. Um, Yeah, and so the thing is, is we have to be kind of character okay, careful because naturally the way that we think about like forming eth- ethical, loving people is naturally just to teach them the rules. It's like, hey, you do this and you do that and da 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 da. And there's this expectation that if they know the rules, then they're going to be ethical, loving people. And um, that's uh, that's not how it works. You know, the problem that we have in terms of like our sin. In places where we're not very loving and where we're hard-hearted and 
uh, where we you know cross ethical bounds, it's not because we don't know the rules. That's not the problem. You know, your your child uh, doesn't lie to you because no one told them not to lie. <laughs> your child, um, you know, doesn't steal from their sibling or smack their sibling in the car because you know for for whatever reason because they don't know that you're not supposed to hit. Like your child has been told that probably a hundred times by you, don't hit people. They, we, we sin because it, it, it's a heart matter. It's not a knowledge matter, it's a matter of our heart. And so our hearts have to be transformed. And so um, we are transformed into people who are more like Christ in relationship with Jesus. We're transformed by knowing the gospel, by knowing that we're perfectly loved, and by entrusting our whole life to Christ. That is what transforms us. And so we have to be a little careful, careful when we talk about um, you know, a loving moral life that we're not viewing this just as like moral education, um, but instead as the fruit of living in intimate relationship with Jesus and the fruit of truly believing and trusting in the gospel day by day. And so that, I just want to start out with that caveat. And so um, the, uh, the first, um, I want to make a couple observations as a starting point before we kind of get into it. But I want to say that the big picture thing here is that love, like being a, a moral loving person, is we need to understand that there is the coexistence and tension of rules and relationship. There's the coexistence and tension of people and principles. Those two things go together. Um, it's not one or the other. We struggle to be on to, to have both of those things. We struggle to remember there's a person in front of us. Um, but there are also rules, and that those two things are, are married to one another. And so, a, a couple of observations, uh, and you know, to where to, uh, from where we're going, and some things just to understand. One is, I would say that an observation is over the last. I, I, this is my like seventeenth school year that I'm starting here, and I would say that kids like ethical knowledge, just basic like biblical morality, is much um, lower today than it was like fifteen years ago when I started. Um, we, uh, the youth pastors, we've kind of found ourselves at times um, a little bit alarmed by like kids who are like very, very, very church-going kids, leaders in the youth group, at some of the um, some of the basic just like moral imperatives, basic biblical principles related to you know ethics and love that they just don't know. Um, give you an example of this. Should I give you an example of this? I'm gonna give you an example. I'm hesitant to give you this example because I think that there's a good chance that a lot of people in here will feel judged. I don't want you to feel judged by this um, because you may be in the same boat as the kids who are asking this question. But we had um, a youth pastor and she got a boyfriend, she had a boo. And um, <laughs> some, girls, some girls who were like super involved, they were like, so have y'all started living together? And, and so um, now, that is that the Bible actually says not to do that. I know that's a norm. I know that's a norm in the culture. And if that's something, if that's what you did, don't want you to feel judged. Like we love you, you know, we're, we're all in this together. Um, and like, that's something the Bible is pretty clear on is that you don't live together until you're married. And so, but they, they, they were like 18 years old on their way out to college. And like, they didn't know that they didn't know that that's like something that if you're walking with Christ, that you, you don't do. And so, um, and so, uh, with that being said, there are a lot of examples where we find our, ourselves finding that kids don't have kind of the basic biblical knowledge of Christian ethics um, that maybe they did like 15 years ago. 
So that's one observation. A second observation is that, um, and I've already kind of said this, but is that human beings really struggle to hold in tension both the rules and the relationship, the, the biblical principles, and but the people involved. So that's really what we're going to focus on here, is we want to have kids who like know the rules, and we also want kids who like understand that the rules function entirely in the context of relationship, in relationship with real human beings and with a real God. Um, kids that know the principles, um, but they also know that the principles involve people, like people who have stories and have lives. And so we're going to see how in, in um, we're going to see in John chapter five how um, how there's this struggle to hold both intention, but to see how Jesus G- Jesus is faithful in both the rules and the relationship. Do you have a question? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that um, I think some of it is that like there is such an um, uh, there's so much more exposure. Our kids are exposed to so much more today than they were, you know, before 2007 when the iPhone came out and before all the streaming devices and all that kind of stuff. That like they just have so much more exposure today than they did before, and so um, and so a lot of their kind of ethical framework is being formed. Um, by what they're exposed to, you know, in TV and on social media and in movies and things like that. Um, I, I was kind of my joke, one of my jokes on this once was like, um, I'm afraid that Kim Kardashian, the Kardashians and uh, Grey's Anatomy have more influence on our kids, like more ethical framework than like I do as their youth pastor. Um, and so that's, that, I think that's, that's a, that'd be a primary thing, I would say, just so much more exposure. Um, all right, so, so just as a starting point, by the way, if there's anyone who feels like they are equipped and tall enough to get John to get this working, uh, I don't know why it's not working, but I would love to be able to get John five up there. Maybe that's um, Frank. That's it, of course. Engineer, Rathfield and Gore. Hey, hey, boom! <laughs> just wait. That boy just waved his wand. Oh my God. Oh, so great. What a moment. Folks, Frank Anderson. Frank Anderson. <laughs> okay, so here's the first thing. Um, you know, there's a, there's a mantra in the culture and uh, that love is love. And, um, and here's the thing, like, uh, a lot of times you hear people say, like, you know, I just, let's just be loving. Let's just be loving. And of course, right? I mean, what's the summary of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Love your neighbors yourself. Let's just be loving, right? But unfortunately, as human beings and as sinners, like we don't just purely and naturally have a great concept of what it looks like to be loving. Like we have to be taught, like through God's word, what it actually looks like to love people. And so um, a a funny example of this uh, comes from a great prophet named T-Pain. From a song that I hope you're not familiar with called... I'm in love with a stripper. Um, and this is kind of funny. And by the way, I have edited the heck out of the lyrics here. But look, th- this is just an example, a very extreme example of like not having a, na- not naturally having a conception of what love is. He says, gosh darn, little mama. You know you're as thick as heck. You know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, after the club, you know what I'm talking about? Me and my friends are going to be together. And you know what I'm saying? I ain't worrying about them really, though. I'm just looking at you, and oh yeah, you know, 
You got them big hips. Good Lord. <laughs> got a body of a goddess. Got eyes, butter, pecan brown. I see you, girl. She, she's coming from the ceiling, blah, blah, blah. And so you go, I'm like, shit. <laughs> but he says at the end, he says, I need to get you over to my crib and do that thing because I'm in love with a stripper. Okay? All right, now this is obviously very extreme. But like he, you know, he is talking about seeing a stripper in a club and he is in love, right? And for love for him is to get, um, to get her over to his apartment so that they can have a lovely conversation, right? <laughs> and so this is just an example of like, this is the speaker's concept of love in the song. And that's not necessarily consistent with what we see in the Bible. Um, uh, in Anchorman, Brian Fantana. Remember? He says, Ron, what is that thing? What is love? You know, and they sing Afternoon Delight. Um, so yeah, it's it, we don't naturally we don't naturally know what love is. Uh, to say that love is love is true, and it's not true in the sense of like, um, you know, a more serious example is you see that uh, people who are abused as children uh, tend to marry people who will abuse them, and generally the explanation for that is that their concept of love has been informed by their parents' behavior. And they interpret abuse as love. That's very sad, right? And, and, it, and it, just, it's, you know, it just tells us that as human beings, um, when it comes to being loving people, um, we, need, we need direction on that. Um, you know, in the, and, and, and a better example of that is, you know, we said the summary of the law is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, right? But how many rules and regulations are there in the Old Testament law? Over 600, over 600 regulations, all of them informing how we love God and how we love our neighbor. And so if there are over 600 rules and regulations to define love for us, that just tells us that we need direction. We need direction on how to love people. We need direction on how to love God. And so, um, and so yeah, we need definition. Um, you know, an example of this, so in the world today, I would say that the prevailing norm for what love is, is basically the, um, and this isn't just like today, this is kind of, this is pretty, you know, universal. Um, but the idea is that like what it means for a person to truly flourish and to be actualized is for them to authentically be true to themselves, for them to authentically do what they want to do. And so the, the concept of love that's in the world is basically, you know, you see a person, what they want to do, and so the loving thing to do is to affirm whatever they want to do. Because they're going to be happy if they can do whatever they want to do. That's when they're going to be, that's when they're going to flourish, is when they can do whatever they want to do. So love then is helping a person discover that and then affirming whatever that may be. And so that's, you know, that's not at all. Like, that's not at all loving. Um, you know, I, this is a, not an, it's not like an everyday conversation, but it's something you kind of see pretty routinely as a youth pastor. And that is you have a teenage girl, she's got a boyfriend and her boyfriend wants to like kind of push the line sexually, wants her to cross, you know, cross biblical lines that she knows that she shouldn't. And she's like, but he like, this is really what he wants to do. And I know this will make him really happy. And so isn't the loving thing for me to do just to like appease him, just do what he wants me to do. And it's like, this is, this is a very real life example of what we're talking about here. 
Because it's like, no, it's not. Because you're facilitating his sin. And like you're, you're, you're enabling him to cross the line. And by the way, we all know this is an incredibly unfair position the girl is on. I, I'm not, I, I don't want to tell this story in a way where it's like the girl is the villain, right? These are both kids. They're both sinners. They're both lonely and struggling, just like all of us. And we all know what it's like to be a teenager um, looking for affirmation and connection and all those kind of things. And it's like it's not loving to assist in the sin of another person because sin inherently harms us. Sin inherently harms our relationship with ourself, with other people, with God, and with the created world. And so, um, and so this, is, this is what I'm talking about here in terms of we need like definition and direction, biblically speaking, on, um, on what it looks like to be a loving person. Um, we cannot just intuitively figure that out, um, as T-Pain has taught us. Um, so we're going to go to John chapter 5, and what we're going to see here is how, um, on one hand, you have Jesus, and Jesus, um, well, sorry, you have the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are all about the rules. They're all about the rules, but they don't care about the relationship. They're all about the principle. They don't care about the people. And meanwhile, you have Jesus, and Jesus holds both intention. He loves the person. He serves, serves the person, um, but he also is faithful to the rules. He's also faithful to God's law. And so starting here in John chapter 5, oh, I'm on the wrong one. Okay. There we go. Oh, all right, great. All right, so um, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and, uh, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which was five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm, I'm going, another, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Okay, so you have this man and he is, um, you know, he is, he is disabled. He cannot walk and he can't take care of himself. And you can see it's really sad because Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And like, what's the, what's the, 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 the real answer to that? Yeah, I want to be healed. Yeah, right. But you can see that he has just been beat down and disappointed so much over his life that he doesn't say, yes, I want to be healed. He says, I don't have anyone to put me in the water. And every time I want to get into the water to be healed, someone else gets in in front of me, you know, time after time after time, all this disappointment. And so the, you know, the, the belief was um, that, you know, there were these pools and they had healing waters. And when the water stirred, if you got into the water, that you'd be healed. And so this guy is desperate. He's hoping to be healed. And, you know, every day he sits by these waters and it doesn't work out for him. And so, um, so you can see that, like, the first thing that Jesus does, he doesn't just come to him and go, boom, you're healed, you're well, you're fine. You know, he engages his heart. Like, he sees a person. He sees a person who is hurting, a person who's experienced disappointment, a person who undoubtedly experiences shame. He can't take care of himself. He has to depend on the charity of others. And, um, and so Jesus first, he ministers to his heart. He, um, you know, he asks him a question um, and then he heals him. You know, he, he meets his need. He takes care of him. And so you can see that Jesus is ministering to the human being here. 
the relationship, the person Jesus sees that. Um, and like, you know, I think that probably as a parent, um, and I think this is probably something we all kind of agree with and we all are probably doing, is like trying really hard to form kids who have empathy, uh, to form kids who are compassionate um, and who aren't, um, yeah, I can remember being a, um, I can remember being a, uh, you know, elementary age, younger elementary age kid. We were on vacation and we always used to, in Waynesville, North Carolina, we always used to drive by this bar. And it was like, uh, the, the people who were at the bar were seemingly probably pretty poor and they were always like obviously very drunk, like out on the sidewalk. Um, it was a show. And so um, it was infield and Talladega, infield of Talladega type scene. And so, you know, my brother and sister and I, we drive by and we kind of laugh and we'd be like, oh, haha, that's so funny, you know, look at that guy stumbling around, all this kind of stuff, not knowing. And my dad, like, stopping the car and being like, hey, guys, like, those, like, why do you think those people are, are getting drunk? You know, like, why do you think that, like, this is not a, this is not something to laugh at. You know, those people are suffering. Like, they're probably there because of pain, you know? And, um, and they don't want to be in this, they, they don't probably, they probably don't ideally want to be slap out drunk on the, you know, stumbling around the sidewalk. And so, you know, it's our dad stopping us and like, and making us think through the human element of this situation that we were just very callous to and that we were laughing about. And so, you know, I think that like, um, in terms of like loving kids, raising kids who are just like, just conditioned to always start to think about the other person's situation first. You know, why is it that, that kid in your class you think might be kind of annoying and like always seeking out attention? Like what's might be going on there? Like how might they feel, you know? Um, why is it that your teacher seems to be, you know, seems to get frustrated and so on and so forth? What is your class doing? How are they, how are they treating her that she seems to be like exasperated all the time? And so helping your kids to just be empathetic, to be able to not just see people at a surface shallow level, but to like think through what is their situation? Like what, how might they be feeling? Like what might be the root behind, you know, the behavior that might be, you know, objectionable to you or annoying to you or frustrating to you, like be empathetic. And so you see that here with Jesus. Okay. So now we're going to see um, some of the, some of the Pharisees enter into the scene. And you're going to see that they are all about the rules. They are not about the relationship. They got the principles. They don't care about the people in in this story here. So it says, now that day was Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is that man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Uh, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Visual learners, my bad. Um, uh, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. And after afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, "See, you are sorry. Let me just stop there. Okay. So we can see here, folks. This guy has been uh, disabled for 38 years. He can't walk." And he has been healed, right? Any of us, if we see this, if we know this person, what is our first reaction going to be? Oh, praise the Lord, you know, praise the Lord. Like you are healed. You can walk. This is amazing. They don't see the person. Like all they care about is the principle. 
you know, they say, hey, it's not, it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. You're breaking the rules. Oh, oh yeah, you, you've been disabled for 38 years. They don't, they don't care about that. It's about the rules. And here's the thing, too. The rules that they're, you know, they say it's not lawful, they're, these are not biblical rules. Like, these are extra biblical rules that they have made up uh, in a legalistic kind of way um, that are not in line with the Bible. Like, the Bible doesn't say that you can't carry your bed on the Sabbath. You know, and that's one of the big things that Jesus is kind of at odds with and trying to teach the Pharisees about is you make up all these extra rules that are not in the spirit of the Bible and they're not even in the Bible. Um, and so, so the thing that's interesting here is that these people who talk to the man and that tell him that he's not being lawful, they're not actually operating under biblical ethics. Like their ethics are human. Um, they're not biblical. And so you can see here that they're not, not only are they not loving the, the person, they're also not actually being obedient to the law because they're, they're, um, they are condemning the guy based on extra biblical regulations that they have made up. And so you can see that they actually don't have either in line. Now, they are committed to the rules, and that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing, but their rules aren't even biblical. So anyhow, so you can see that human tension there of, and we know this, right? We know people who have big hearts, and they love people really well, and you know, they might, they might kind of overlook ethical, ethical things. They might not, they, they, may, they may kind of validate or affirm things that, that aren't biblical that actually aren't helpful for the person. And then on the other hand, you have people who are, um, who are all about the rules and just have no consideration of the human beings involved. Um, all right, so then Jesus comes back and Jesus says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, I see that you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. So Jesus sees the guy and now here's what not to hear from this. He says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. It's easy for us to hear that and think like, oh man, Jesus is saying that he was disabled because he had done something wrong and like God had punished him. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, you better not sin because something bad might happen to you again like it did in the past. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here is he is saying, hey, like you did have a big problem in that you were, um, that you couldn't walk. But let me tell you, man, like to sin and to like break communion with God, like that's actually a bigger problem. It would be worse. It would be better for you to still be disabled um, and to like be in, you know, a faithful, obedient relationship with God um, than to be healed, but you completely rebel against the Lord. And so, um, so that's what Jesus is saying here, that the, you know, the problem of sin is much greater than any physical malady that we experience. And so, um, and so we can see here that Jesus is like very faithful to the rules. He's, you know, he's warning him and admonishing him to be obedient to God's law. And so, you know, one example of this gone wrong, um, people just not getting it. This is just so upsetting. Um, is you can see this is kind of back around 2017. Um, and there's, this is a protest near the border. It says, stop illegal immigration. Um, return to sender. 
Okay, so now here's the thing. Like, um, you know, is it, um, is it unethical to say stop illegal immigration? No, it's not. You know, I mean, um, the, you know, there are different, different arguments in turn on, on the immigration debate. But like, um, one could argue, you know, in terms of being loving that a lot of people who illegally immigrate to this country that they are put in very vulnerable situations and like a large percentage of people who are trafficked in the United States, um, they come into the US illegally and they don't have the protection of the law. And so they end up in vulnerable situations and they are trafficked in all kinds of horrible ways. So you could, and then also too, you know, like you could say that having a really strong, uh, really strong border, that that is biblically a loving thing to do, right? So. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with saying, you know, stop legal immigration. That's a, that's an okay position for someone to hold. The Bible does the Bible does say a lot about being compassionate to immigrants and to refugees. The Bible has a lot to say about that. That we should have a compassionate attitude to people who are vulnerable, and that being one of the groups of people that is highlighted quite a bit throughout Scripture. Um, but this sign, return to sender. Okay, like the the what they're saying here is like. You know, if something goes wrong in the mail, um, there's a stamp that's put on it that says return to sender. Okay. And so here is a person They, you know, they have convictions about the law, about policy. That's okay. You can have those convictions. So rules and principles, but man, the human element, the person to refer to a, to like uh, marginalize and to reduce a human being to like a stamp that's put on a package, a piece of mail. It's incredibly dehumanizing. And like, you know, are any of these people, like the people who are trying to come to this country, like they are coming out of horrible situations. Like if you've ever done a mission trip or gone down to Latin America and seen the poverty and like the corruption, the police, the corruption, the government, like, you know, you, you, we, any of us may say like, we need to have a strong border. And like the people who are desperately trying to get across the border, like it's because they live in horrific situations. And so we can be compassionate. You can have your position of the rules, but you also want in the principle, we also want to think about the people um, and what situation they may be coming out of. And this is a, an example of not doing that very well. Um, and so uh, let's see what time it is here. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to stop there. I think I've kind of made, um, I think I've kind of made the point clear that, um, like in terms of raising, I'll, I'll kind of make three three points to to land the plane. Number one is that the, our hope of raising kids who are loving and ethical, um, yeah, there is a part of that where we do need to teach our kids the Bible, like teach our kids the Ten Commandments, and like, you know, teach our kids what's right and wrong. Yeah, that's that's a pretty basic, you know, responsibility of a parent. I think most of us are probably on point with that. Um, but um, yeah, and so educating, educate our kids on what the Bible says about different ethical things. That's a good, that's a, that's, that's one point. A second point is that people don't become moral by being taught morals. <laughs> um, people, you know, people will come more moral, so to speak, by their heart being transformed in relationship with Jesus um, and by surrendering their heart daily before God and asking God to transform them into a person who's more like Christ. Um, so, you know, as we like want to have moral kids, understand that we, we, we want to focus on the input, not just the output. The input 
is the relationship with Christ. And then the final thing I would say is like, uh, as we consider this, just kind of a little framework and a paradigm to operate under is this rules and relationships, people and principles. Like on one hand, we do want to educate our kids. And on the other hand, we want to take every opportunity um, to form kids who are, um, who are, are, have the ability to think about the human element of a person's life, to think, to have compassion, to think about the pain a person may be in, to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, there's a, uh, uh, was going to say, um, uh, it's a, it's a AA book, big book thing, you know, to regard everybody as if they're sick, um, because we are all sick with sin. Um, but you know, you think about like, if you had, I can remember my grandmother being in a, in a nursing home and, you know, she had very advanced dementia and, you know, she would say some things that were really bad, <laughs> like you know, hurtful and mean. She was really sweet, but she had her moments. And it's like, you know, Bum Bum is almost 90 years old. She has no memory at all. And, you know, uh, she, you know, she can hardly walk. And so, like, my level of compassion for her in that is much higher, say, than, you know, a very capable person that I see on the street. And, and yet, it's probably a good thing to try to, um, for ourselves, but also for our kids, to try to ask the Holy Spirit to take us to a place where... Um, our first instinct with people is to be compassionate and empathetic, to dig deep into what their life circumstances and to, to first approach them from a position of grace. Um, and then, you know, the loving thing to do and some, sometimes in relationships is to say like, hey, doing that is, that's bad. That's a bad idea. That's gonna be destructive. Like, hey, what you're doing there, that is, that's not ethical. And that's gonna be harmful to you and to the other people around you and your relationship with God. There's a place for that. But, and like, we want to kind of come into that from a position of compassion. So that's all I have. Um, anybody have any questions, thoughts, letters to the editor, words to your mind? Yes. Cameron, do you have any thoughts about teaching your children sort of the morality and ethics around the sort of greed? I feel like money, greed, I feel like as like a yeah. fifth grader, like he talks about money all the time. When I eavesdrop on his friends, all they're talking about is like they're gonna get this job so they can buy a Ferrari. <laughs> and it's just like this like it's this fixation but I don't want like take him to a soup kitchen because then I've dehumanized the, the poor person. They're like, hey look poor, look how bad it could be. You're, you're sure. I don't know. It just it just see, and I think maybe at the advent or in the community we live it may be a, a more acute issue. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty American thing. That's particularly a, a suburban thing. Um, and um, But actually, it's not just a suburban thing because, you know, I used to teach Sunday school and do youth ministry in, like, Fairfield before I came to the Advent. That's like a volunteer. And there was a lot. There was all, they're all about the bling, the bling in the ice and, uh, and money. So that's, that's really a human thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's helpful that if, like, a natural rhythm of your family life is to interact with, you know, people who are uh, vulnerable or people who are, you know, economically very disadvantaged. Um, you know, as you're right, it can be objectifying just to, to like teach an object lesson. Trust me, I have before wanted to, uh, we were having one of these moments in our family and I was like, we're getting the kids in the car. We're going to drive through Fairfield. We're going to show these kids. Anyhow, I had one of those moments. Um, but I think it is helpful for them to kind of see globally 
what the normal circumstances for people. I mean, 50% of the world population lives on $2 or less a day. Um, and so that, but I think a better thing, that's, that's one thing. I think another thing is really to always dig deep into like, what, what is driving your desire? Like, what do you think, you know, having these materials will do for you? Because really what we're, what we're dealing with is idolatry. And so to think like to, to help your child kind of unpack, like, why, why am I so fixated on nice cars and nice houses and things like that? Um, and then that kind of helps them to understand idolatry and what repentance looks like and how they find that. Instead of finding that satisfaction in materials, they find it in Christ. Um, yeah. So anyhow, I hope that was helpful. Any other questions? I just had a quick comment. Yeah. You said the picture about the return to sender mm. implication is sort of like damage the Yeah. And yeah. I just thought that, I don't know, as a parent, I think it's good to see that something like that diminishes the redemptive power of Jesus. And so yeah. like as parents, we do have a lot of rules and we do have the final say, but just to encourage our kids that, no one is without a, like, out of God's reach. His redemption yeah. is like, we aren't the same of who is good or bad or right or wrong. Um, you know, when they ask you, is this person wrong or are they sinning, just to say that no one is out of God's redemptive reach. Yeah, and in this situation in particular, to, like, teach kids that every person is made in the image of God, every, every human being has dignity. Like, no human being should ever be referred to in such a demeaning way. Because that, that, every human being, no and so that should be treated as something holy. And so, yeah, that, and that's just something to just continually, that, if, that's, if there's a theological principle to teach your kids, it's the, the, it being that every, the dignity of man because of the image of God. Um, and to treat all people with that you know, respect and dignity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Hey, by the way, if anyone felt judged today by anything I said, please forgive me. I, I really, um, you know, yeah, forgive me. Let me, let me um, and please talk to me. If you did, please, please call me uh, this week. I, genuinely, I'm saying that for real. Please call me this week. I'd love to have a conversation. I, I won't want anyone to feel uh, judged or condemned walking out of here. Let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, thank you for, um, thank you that you're a well of grace. And thank you that you love us enough to give us direction um, in our relationships and morally and ethically. And that you, um, that you see us as, as human beings. You know us. You see our hearts and you have compassion and pity on us and um, and you treat us with kindness and gentleness as you um, discipline us so that we live um, obedient lives that, are, that, that truly flourish before you so, uh, and that honor and glorify you because that's, that's, that's Lord, that's number one. So help us to do that. Give us wisdom in how to deal with these very tricky things for our kids. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thanks everybody. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.